0: Gina and welcome to Letters to My Daughters podcast. If you are a returning listener, I just want to thank you for taking time to come back. And if you're new, I would like to welcome you. I've been doing a lot of thinking on the idea of closure, the idea that there is a person, phrase, thing that can bring a sense of peace or finality to a tough situation. Being an adoptee, I always felt like I needed closure. I always felt like I needed to understand why I was given up, why I was given to the family I was placed with, why I wasn't wanted, and so on. Over the years, that longing has grown into lots of time spent researching genealogy and genetics, culminating in the discovery of my biological relatives, but somehow... No closure was to be found. It has led me to wonder if closure is really what I was looking for all along. C.S. Lewis said it best when he said, Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. Spending all of those years seeking out closure has now come to an end and I record this on the day of my biological father's funeral. I know that not all of my listeners are adoptees and that even those who are adopted may not be able to relate to my story. But my intention today is less about sharing my story to help others, and more about me organizing my feelings about the things I have learned on this journey to help me better use my story for the glory of God. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It is by far the hardest letter I have ever had to write. We just finished a road trip to visit the Creation Museum and Ark in Kentucky. On the way, we stumbled across a used bookstore that had an impressive number of Christian books. It was like a Walmart and the entire perimeter was Christian books. But that wasn't even the best part. In front of the store, there were two massive wooden bins overflowing with free books. My husband and I went to town, digging through the piles of books. We filled our trunk with books, but one that stood out to me was a small blue book called The Dynamics of Sanctification from the 1960s. I haven't read it yet, but I love finding information about the process of sanctification. Growing up as a part-time Catholic, I understood sanctification as a process by which something is made clean, new, or good. Christianity introduced me to the idea of death of self. I lean more toward the belief that death of self is more in line with biblical sanctification, and so seeing this book was exciting to me. In Luke 9.23 it says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Galatians 5.24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Death of self is a truly hard topic to face because if we really die to ourselves, we don't worry about our desires, hang-ups, or hurts. And that is something that I genuinely struggle with especially with being adopted. I was a desperately unhappy child. I was adopted at three months old. I was in foster care from birth to three months, and then, by the time I was two, my adoptive parents were divorced. I was raised by a single mother in a chaotic and somewhat abusive home that did not know Jesus. By the time I was in the fifth grade, the same age my oldest child is now, I was self-harming by the time I was in the seventh grade I was cutting myself and abusing prescription medication by the time I reached high school I had attempted suicide dozens of times the instability and dysfunction in my home life paired with the fact that I genuinely believed I was unlovable an alien dropped on the earth by a cruel and cold God meant that I felt no purpose in living I don't know if it was influenced from movies like Orphan Annie or The Hunchback of Notre Dame that made me feel motivated to find my birth family, or if it was just a survival mode instinct, but knowing that I had a big brother that I thought was my full sibling out there in the world was the only thing that kept me from trying hard enough to die that it actually worked. Quite honestly, if it wasn't for the grace of God and His protection, I'm confident that I would not be alive today. I started searching for my birth family online when I was 12 or 13. I didn't have my birth file, and I was told that because my adoption was closed, my adoptive mother did not have access to information that would help me locate them. My adoptive mother intentionally misled me until I was 25 years old, when I ordered my records directly from the state. The first biological relative that I ever met was my firstborn daughter. I always wondered if there were people out there who looked like me or who I looked like. And suddenly, I was holding someone who looked just like me, almost identical to me, in my arms. I lived for such a long time, believing that finding my biological family was the secret to unlocking my identity in the world to feeling a sense of belonging in the world. And now, after over a decade of searching for that identity and belonging, both of my biological parents are dead. It's a blow to my heart that I wasn't prepared for. I have a hard time accepting that the closest I ever got to my biological father was through reading his obituary, facing the fact that the person I am related to that I most resemble is him. I told my husband that while I know God will use the childhood and life experiences I had for His glory and for the good of others, right now it feels like all that time is just a big flaming ball of garbage in my hands that I'm not sure what to do with. And this leads me to the idea of sanctification, death of self, and the crucifixion of the flesh. I know that God has equipped me for good. He has given me a husband that led me to him, that challenges me and teaches me and shelters me from storms. He has given me daughters that fill me with infinite joy. He has revealed his glory to me and he has taught me lessons and patience. I remember when I decided to find my biological father. I had found my birth mother and her children, my half siblings, and because my birth mother did not name a, a male father, my sister encouraged me to take a DNA test. I remember riding in the car and my results coming up on my phone, and I jumped to view my DNA matches, but suddenly I was blinded by sunshine, and I couldn't see my phone screen. And this thought popped into my head. God is the only father I will ever need. God revealed truths about my biological family in his time, not mine, no matter how much I prayed and begged for information. And ultimately, while I know the names of the people and places that brought me to this earth, the story remains murky and closure is no longer possible. Both parents died before I ever got up the nerve to really introduce myself. So, here I sit with my flaming ball of trash, wondering what to do. My husband's grandpa is a minister, and he recently gave me some advice about crucifixion of the flesh. He told me that sometimes we think of that as laying down our trivial desires, but it can also mean laying down the things that define us the most the people we love the most. In Matthew 10 37 we are told, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This verse has always torn me up inside because I feel such a strong sense of responsibility and love for my daughters. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus walked up to me today and told me it was time to go, if I would say, but wait, Jesus, what about my girls? But when I apply this verse to my desire for a sense of belonging, acceptance, and fellowship, and when I think about how sometimes I have put those desires above my love for Jesus, I realize that this verse has a much broader application. So I wonder now, after all this time searching, If what God is really calling me to do is just drop this ball of burning trash once and for all. And don't get me wrong, the people I have met along the way are not trash. The experiences and lessons I have learned are not trash. The garbage is the longing and the yearning and the sorrow and the pain. If I have been reminded of anything this week, it's that God did not create me to live a life of sorrow or endless and unquenchable thirst. Dying sounded so appealing to me when I was young. I didn't want to hurt anymore, didn't want to feel left out, unwanted and unlovable or broken anymore. Dying to myself, to this pain, to these tears, to these people who didn't want me and don't want me, Dying to the people who turn against me because of my faith. Dying to the people who reject me. Dying to the lies that I have been told over the years. Dying to all things except to my Lord and Savior. It sounds pretty dang appealing. I can see the growth in myself because where I still mourn and rage, I also seek comfort in the solace of my maker. When I received the news that my biological father had died, I broke a little bit, but I also desired God in that moment, craved time with him in prayer and solitude. I did not expect this news, this end to the story of finding my biological parents and reuniting with them. But here's the thing, the story that matters is already written we know the author so we can trust the ending so i guess i will leave you with this thought so many mothers in the bible had to sacrifice their children so that god could use them hannah gave samuel up to be raised in the church moses mother had to give him up to be raised by her enemies mary had to endure hardships From conception to the resurrection for Jesus, she had to watch the baby that she delivered and raised suffer and die on a cross. The Bible has taught me that sacrificing my children for the glory of God is the only way to be a good mother. I have to believe that the way I was brought into this world and then subsequently given up was designed for the glory of God. The path has been hard, heartbreaking, and infuriating. But the image of the biblical mother handing her child over into the hand of God is the only image I can conjure right now. She put me in his hand, whether she knew it or not. And somehow, this is going to be for his glory. Today, especially, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. I really appreciate those who come back regularly and would love to connect with you. If you would like to provide feedback and a review, please do so, or you can email me at questions.letterstomydaughters at gmail.com. Please also subscribe and share. I hope you know I'm praying for you, and I hope you have a great day.